Jen Bosworth Ramirez. And I'm Gina Polici. We went to theater school together. We survived it, but we didn't quite understand it. 20 years later, we're digging deep, talking to our guests about their experiences and trying to make sense of it all. We survived theater school, and you will too. Are we famous yet? Hi. I feel like I haven't talked to you in 10 years. It's been 1,000 years. How about birthday celebration i mean i know there wasn't a big celebration but it it was great it was a bit of a weekend though uh friday was great i uh yeah i had a great day we went out to dinner we had a great italian dinner um and it was lovely i and i got some nice presents and it it was great and then i wrote a blog post about i know i just read it because my friend left so good I'm going to pimp it out today. Oh, that's right. Your friend. Who is your friend that's there? Or was there? Gone. Gone. So that's something I want to run by you is like how to, in our middle age, to navigate friendships that, uh, Uh, I don't think she listens to this, so I don't, but that for me are very challenging and that's just the truth. So anyway, continue. We'll, we'll talk about that, but I want to hear about it. We'll get to that. Yeah, we'll get to that. Um, so on Saturday, I got the autopsy from my sister. And she is no surprise, she died from alcohol intoxication. We already knew that or alcohol poisoning. But for some reason, my mom and I were both kind of fixated on like what her blood alcohol content was going to be. And I never really looked that much into it. You know, like I know 0.08 is the legal limit like sure. for driving which mm-hmm. i think ends up meaning like you, even if you, you might even be in trouble if you have one drink yeah it's like one or two drinks for most people's weight but i don't yeah right right um hers was 0.46 what yes so i looked up on wikipedia like there's actually a very handy little chart there that breaks down for you all the different levels and like what the impairments are and starting at 0.01 I mean there's there's a observable differences at least in terms of like if you're hooked up to machines I guess and they're observing you um, they may not be that noticeable to other people but anyway there's impairments that begin from drink one mm-hmm. and by the time you get to point three is complete blackout and by the time you get to point four, it's onset of coma and um, respiratory failure. She was at point four, what? Six, yeah. And point five is just death, like no no bones about it. If your alcohol, if the blood in your alcohol, if the alcohol in your blood gets to point five, you're definitely oh dead. Oh my God. So it was like surprisingly so upsetting. I don't mean it's surprising that, I don't know what it, what, I'm not totally sure what it was about that number that had me so rocked, but I was talking to my mom and I was saying like, when I used to drink when I was younger, I mean, I still drink, but like when I used to really drink for, for partying or whatever you mm-hmm. want to call it, um, if I got up to five drinks, I was definitely throwing up mm-hmm. and I never measured my blood alcohol level but i'm guessing it would have been i mean point i don't know i'm guessing it would have been up there i don't know how you get how you physically get 
don't you just start to throw up? And my mom said, practice. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. It's tolerance. And my blood turned cold when she said that. Just the chill went up my spine. Like, okay, so she had to have been drinking yeah. a lot for a, for long, a long time. time. Yeah. She yeah. did not have, she had the beginnings of cirrhosis, but it wasn't even like, you know, because it took my dad 11 years to die from, from alcoholism right. and he had hepatitis. So it was like, it wasn't making sense to me. It must be, I, I, I don't, I, I really don't know how to understand it. Aaron says, I mean, this is suicide. This is how, yeah, not that's that what she was going to say, not that she was intending it necessarily, although she might've been, um, but he was saying, like, you have to, he does this hand gesture, you have to be glug, glug, glugging, basically. To, to get to that blood alcohol level is not an easy thing to do. Wow. And so here, here's what I want to say about it. She is the fifth person in my family to die from alcohol uh, toxicity. And, you know, there was a member of my family that knew she was struggling with it, knew she had gone to rehab. And she in, went to rehab. I didn't know any of this. Oh, yeah. She went to rehab. Yeah. And and actually, until I told this family member that we got the, you know, cause of death, that person was telling me that person was not telling me that she was in rehab. That person was telling me that she went away for work. Like she's dead. What's what's the secret that you're hiding? And this person also hid in her bedroom was a book, the the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous. Mm. And this person put hid that. And 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 the way they were saying it was like, and of course, you know, I put that away because that's nobody's business. And I'm like, are you fucking kidding me? First of all, I hope to God that her kids know that this is what she died from. They probably might not. One should know. Oh, one should know for so many reasons, if nothing else that, Oh, this runs in our family and I should be really careful. Exactly. They don't, they might not know. I bet they don't know. So this is the way that denial kills us because we don't want to talk about what's really going on. And so 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 that when somebody is suffering to the point that they want to drink that much, they assume that they're the only person who's suffering like right. that. They assume that there's no help. They assume that there's no hope for them, which really, I mean, talking about this stuff only ever engenders hope in people. You know what I mean? It, yeah. Because you can't tame it until you name it is not yeah. the expression. Yeah. So like how the fuck is anybody supposed to tame, you know, these sicknesses these unless they know what they are yeah it's really it's really un, like devastating to find out that like you know um someone that you love and even if you're you know whatever you're estranged from them it doesn't matter it was suffering that's the part i think right it was suffering and felt alone. I mean, I think that's the devastating part. And that's what my father's suicide, same thing. Like my dad, whether he did it on purpose or not, the guy overdosed and my mother and, and other family members continued to say that he died of something else. The fuck is wrong? What in the, it is insane. That is the insanity 
of this of the disease of addiction and mental illness that we at all costs at all costs i almost want i almost want to say maybe i'll just say it here on this forum i want to say that if you are somebody who is covering up for somebody else who is in 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 harm's way with substance you are a killer yep yep you are you are helping to you were like an accomplice to murder like really absolutely absolutely and i think that that is probably going to sound harsh to a lot of people but it's just the truth yeah it's just the truth because because and the reason i know it's the truth is because if you did the opposite of that if you said wow you're really struggling i want to help you what can i do to help you or if you don't get help i'm afraid i can't continue in this relationship if you're not doing that then you are and also the last person you're doing a favor for is that person right. you know what i mean right like i i have this thought that people in my family think that if we say that this is what she died from that we're tarnishing her memory i mean it's it, i if the if shit anything, is tarnished already because of the disease and the secrecy so like if anything you'd be shining a light and 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 helping her memory to be one of the, the person had a disease it wasn't their it was a no fault illness exactly that's what i want to say too it's it, it's not her fault i mean that it, she was an alcoholic it, it it may have been her it may have been her responsibility I mean, it was her responsibility to do something about it, but uh, yeah, nobody, nobody decides that they want to grow up one day and drink themselves to death. That's just not how it works. Oh my God. That's intense. Oh my God. It was intense. I, I, uh, but you know, another win for me is that I totally dealt with it. I did not sweep it under the rug. I Mm. felt sad. I cried. I talked about it. I felt low, you know, that day and the next day. And, and, and I, you know, that's all I can do is honor the feeling when it occurs to me. Right. And, and I think, um, like breaking the cycle, right. Of denial and also, yeah. The way that you talk about it, you know, that's a huge step in a direction that is the opposite direction of the secrecy and the, um, like shame, right? Like I, I, I think that shame like busting the shame, breaking the shame and saying, you know, this is the truth. This is what happened and, and shining a light and not being willing to let whatever shame for me anyway, whatever shame keeps us quiet. It really does. It really does uh, allow other people to do the same. And I think that's the only way out of, of the hell, which is, um, addiction and mental illness and, um, so you're doing that so good for you but oh my naja that is like a hard yeah weekend situation after yes. your okay okay so but now i want to hear about your <laughs> okay so i it's interesting i as i as i progress in age i wonder i'm noticing and i wonder if you notice it that things what is it it's that they, they always say, oh, as you get older, you get st- stuck in your ways. And I was always like, that is the dumbest thing I've ever heard. It's not true. But I think it's really hard for me to change my routines, to change my 
Um, I, it's just so strange. So I had this friend come lovely human being, not, but I, but you know, but we have one bedroom and I think, Oh, they stayed in your house. Yeah. It was a terrible idea and no, yeah. and a no fault again, a no fault situation. But what I need to do is say, Hey, this this whole um staying in our one bedroom on our sofa and our our sleeper is not going to work unless you're a teenager and a small person and um don't mind being woken up at 5 a.m by a dog and if any of those things are not true you can't stay here no, and it has nothing to do with the, and it's interesting because it's like, it really brings up sort of like people pleasing stuff for me of like, well, if I ask someone to stay in a hotel or if I, if I, if I do that, then that means I'm mean or I'm not. I mean, that has really come up for me. And someone said to, or I read people pleasing and it really hit home is a form of manipulation. So Wow. So I, so it is not, it is, that is really like at the root. And I was like, okay, well, if I look at it like that, I don't want to manipulate others. I really don't because I don't like being manipulated. So if I see people pleasing as that instead of, and just like we're talking about in like covering up for someone, if I see it as dangerous and not acceptable behavior and something that I wouldn't want happen to me, then that helps me to make choices and how I interact in my relationships. So what a amazing reframe. That's exactly what it is. And I could never put my finger on it before because I think, well, people pleasing sounds nice. I no. want to please people sometimes. No, it's manipulation. It's total wow. manipulation. And it, 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 it's, it's, um, it erodes the fabric of relationships and you can't have a real relationship. So like, right. I rely, I've also relied on other people like to say, oh, you know, they have a one bedroom. I'm not going to stay there, but people are going to do what they're going to do, whether it's for financial reasons or it doesn't matter. They do their dance. That's not my responsibility. My responsibility is to not manipulate through people pleasing because I'm afraid to to say, hey, our place is teeny. You cannot stay here because we'll all lose our mind. And she wanted to stay five nights originally. And I said, no, no, no. I said three. And we left for Santa Barbara for one. I took her away to Santa Barbara, which was the smartest thing I could have done just for space reasons. And, um, but anyway, but I'm just learning, like, as I get older, like there are things that used to be negotiable for me that are non-negotiable in terms of like sleep. I need a certain amount of sleep for my mental health and physical health. I need a certain amount of, um, I have to respect um, my husband's space and sleep and I have a dog and it's a whole different thing. And the dog, I, and I brought this dog into our lives. So to say to the dog, you have to behave differently because we have a guest and you're, you're three months old, 3.5 months old is also not okay. I mean, look, the dog is fine. And I, but like learning that I have to take responsibility for my life. It all comes down. Like this is nobody else's life. This is nobody else's house. This is nobody else's um, journey. And, and, 
And I'm going to stop being a manipulator. And by doing that, I have to really commit to, to not being a people pleaser. It's really interesting. It's it hit home so hard when I saw that quote, I was like, Oh my God, that is the truth. Yeah. That, that just changed me. I, it makes perfect sense because the way, the reason that we became people pleasers was for our own survival. Mm -hmm. It's not like we said, gosh, this person really needs our, I mean, it's really not altruistic in, in any way. It's, it's the opposite of that. It's just as selfish as the, any other behavior might be considered. It's really interesting. And it, and I think it, 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 for women and stuff, it sort of becomes second nature and like, like acceptable, you know, people pleasing does sound really great. And like, you're being very um, compassionate, but it's not that for me, it, it is definitely, I don't want to feel an uncomfortable feeling and I don't want to risk you being mad at me. So I'm going to just do this and then be resentful and then um, nothing changes and I reinforce the behavior. Did you get the impression that that person also understood that it wasn't a great idea? No, because I get it. I, I, I think that that person is just in doing their own thing and isn't um, and has a different, uh, I don't know, like, is not a people pleaser is more of a um, something else. And so that's why we attracted each other. And so, yeah, I just got the feeling that that person was just doing their thing and like could not sense. Yeah. And the other thing is when you live in LA, New York, Chicago, or maybe even some of the other large cities, people are always coming into town and people are always wanting to stay with you and you always have the right to say it's it's just not going to work. Oh Sorry. my god, yeah. I, I, I I'd I, love I, to see you. I'd love to hang out with you. I can recommend a great hotel across right, the street. Right. But you just can't stay here. No, it just doesn't work and it does it it, it really upset, it upsets the the what is it? homeostasis of the of my whole my whole life, you know. And 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 yeah, and that's just the truth. I personally can't imagine at my age ever wanting to stay I mean I don't even want to stay with my own family like I mm -hmm. I do I go and stay with my mom but I, I you know if, if I had all the money in the world I would always just stay yeah. in a hotel yeah it's just it's just it may it makes for a better time together when you're with yeah. a person if yeah. there isn't any resentment about like how what you like the temperature to be when you're sleeping or how loud you can be or what time you go to sleep hey, or what time you let get me up. run this by you getting rid of that makes it much easier to be with yeah and that's just the way to do it so i'm learning you know i'm a learning you're I'm a learning. learning what else is going on what else is going on um i do i'm doing like some intense sort of writing exercises with my theater group where um we started this new thing of writing five minute plays. So you, so we have, we pick a, there's a word of the week, we pick the word and then there, we pick a prop and we pick a line of dialogue that everybody has to use. And then we go away and write the little play and come back and present it the next Monday. So we just did it for the first time this past week and, and we presented last night and it was really fun. I ended up writing something that I don't know that I would have written otherwise, like a, you know, because I had to incorporate these other things. And it's, it's actually a really good way. Writing exercises are a very good way to get 
out of your own ruts. You know, like if you find yourself always writing the same character, always writing the same type of dialogue, if you get some externally imposed restrictions on what you can write, it leads you to think in a way that you might not otherwise. That's fantastic. And what else, what else have you got going on meetings or writing wise? Nothing right now. It's interesting. It's sort of like a lull in between people are supposedly reading my script, um, the head of roadmap to see who he thinks might be a good rep, but he, but like life, like people forget about you. I mean, that is just the truth. It's not that you're forgettable. It is that we're all forgettable really. And that people have a big life. So I, I, I wrote him and said he was supposed to read it and pass it to another person at roadmap writers and say, Hey, which reps do you think that we know might fit this? And what, what do we think this pilot needs? And, and is she ready to be repped with this, with this pilot? And then, um, that so I'm in a whole I'm sort of in a holding pattern, but the big news is my husband got a full time job. Praise Jesus on the cross. Woohoo! I know, is awesome. So he got that, a full time regular. I know you gig. were waiting for that for the longest time. Yeah, it was like two years in the making, and the guy hasn't had a full time permanent job in twenty years. He's been a contractor for twenty years. Wow. So this was like a huge step. He starts on my birthday, October four, and um. And, um, we were just relieved and so grateful. And it was, you know, it's also though a good reminder, like then I go into, because I'm a human, I'm like, oh my God, well, he has to keep this job and he can't lose this job. I mean, it can get insane. So I'm really telling myself, like, stay in the day. The guy just got the job. Everything's a process. Nothing's permanent anyway. Stay in the day, stay in the day. So that's really, that's, yeah. That relates to the thing that I wanted to run by you, which is that tendency, that urge you felt to then want to control like how he stays in the job or um, that's very familiar to me. And I was talking to somebody about it recently, uh, somebody who was complaining that in their family, um, anything negative is never tolerated. Anything, Mm -hmm. you know, it's like any any challenge or struggle you have is like you have to stiff upper lip it at to the point that this person doesn't feel like they can ever say i mean even something simple like i don't like this food. i don't like yeah i don't you know it's like well but you have food and you you're going to be grateful for it so um and oh my god she was she was telling me that um you know, there was this long period of time actually where she hadn't had a job and then she got a job and she hated the job. I mean, she wasn't quitting it, but she, she hated the job. And whenever she would say anything to her family about it, they would say, yeah, but you're really grateful you have the job. Right. Um, and for a while she was like, oh yeah, you know, she's feeling badly that she shouldn't have any bad feelings about it. The thing about feelings is you just don't get to decide what they are. Right. I wish you could. I right. really wish you could right. program it work yourself that way. and just say like, no, Siri, I don't want to have this <laughs> feeling right now. But you, that's one thing we haven't outsourced yet. You simply can't control it. What, what the feelings you have are the feelings you have. The only thing you can control is the outcome. And it makes sense. Like if you think of people who in past generations were in poverty, like there's no room for any no. 
thing, but, you know, putting your nose down and doing the work. And I get that, but we're not living in an agrarian society anymore. And people have complaints. And, and by the way, generations ago, they had complaints too. Just the, the fact that, that they weren't allowed to say it out loud doesn't mean they lived happy. Exactly. Lives. Well, I think it's, it's just comes back to exactly what we're saying is about addiction and mental illness and everything. It's like, just because you don't speak it out loud actually doesn't mean that there's not a whole torrent of storms inside of you. It's still there. It's just that you're not expressing it and it has to go somewhere. It has they to go, go somewhere. And that makes a lot of sense too. Like if you think about how the body yeah. is processing trauma and, and it'll just go somewhere until you, you can deal with it. The same thing is true for frankly, every emotion, you know, every emotion, uh, the, be the best gift you can give yourself. And certainly the people who you love is the gift of acceptance that this thing has happened you feel this type of way about it and it and it's okay it's not some people take it too far it's so okay that you can do whatever you want because right. you you know poor you you had to right. go through it's not that <clears throat> it's simply just okay yeah i mean my my daughter is actually a good example my daughter i'll say she's going through what i'll call a, a hypochondria sure. phase she wants to come to you and say, it hurts when I do this, yes. you know, and I'm like, okay, well, let's don't do that for a few days then. Um, I, I mean, in yes. any given day, she'll have seven sure. ailments. Sure. And my practice is because what happens to me inside is I feel the, I feel like anxiety uh -huh. shoots up in me immediately. Uh-huh. And actually, it took me a long time to know that that was happening. And then it took me a little while to figure out why would I have that reaction? Well, because that's how people reacted to me when I had like, we can't afford, you can't right. be sick, you can't have a problem, we can't deal with that. It, it, and it, it doesn't work. So I'm practicing, I'll, I'll keep everybody posted on how it's going. I'm just practicing saying, I'm really sorry that you're feeling that way. Let me check it out. Okay, let me know if it keeps, you know, if it persists. Right, right. I mean, I think, yeah, it, it is so, it is so, um, right. It is, the first step is realizing what your reaction is, right? And that is huge to say like, okay, like I, when, when, when a member of my family, you know, like gets sick or something, I go to rage. Like, how dare you be sick? How dare you allow yourself to have a need and inconvenience everybody? And that's because that's how I was treated. But it took me a long time to say, why am I like enraged that my husband has a cold? Like, this doesn't make mm -hmm. any sense. But it does make sense because I wasn't allowed to have a cold, right? But this is now. That was then. He's allowed to have a cold. It doesn't mean the end of the world. But it takes a while to figure out what the hell is even going on. Yeah. Inside. Yeah. And I think the other thing that comes up for me when I feel anxiety or rage when somebody is, I don't mean this word, but I'm being cheeky, like indulge in right. their needs. The anger is I didn't get to act like that when I was your age. So therefore you don't get to act right. like that. Right. Like so it even goes, someone, a, a psychologist was talking about people who have, and this was me for a long time. In public places, when an infant is crying, if you have 
that yes. rage to shut that infant up, a lot of times it's because you you felt that you couldn't do that. Also, we feel we can't do that as adults when we'd like to start screaming and crying. Mm-hmm. And that and that that infant is expressing what we all wish we could. And nobody likes that because it's not yeah. fair. And I was yeah. like, that's so true. Yeah. When I looked at it that way, look, I still don't like screaming infants. Who does? I mean, it's just yeah. annoying. But mm-hmm. it wasn't, it didn't, it doesn't trigger me like on planes and stuff anymore as bad because I'm like, oh, that kid is doing, that being is doing what we all wish we could. And mm-hmm. they're the only acceptable outlet for it. If an adult mm-hmm. did that, they'd go right to jail and then they'd be checked in, you know? Yeah. And, and, but that infant gets to express that and like, wow, you know? <laughs> Yeah. So the only other thing I wanted to mention to you is that I, for some reason, my kids were like, mom, the Emmys are on tonight. We've got to watch the Emmys. They have never watched any award show to my knowledge. I don't, I think my daughter thought that her favorite YouTubers might be like getting awards. And I tried to say, I don't think they do those kind of, they will um, soon. Sure. I'm sure there's going to be YouTube awards and yeah. I'm sure they're going to be just as, I'm sure they're going to outpace the Oscars. Exactly. Cause they're just, those influencers are on top of it. Uh-huh. Yeah. But, uh, so I started to watch it. Um, cause that's the thing I usually like is the clothes uh-huh. and I right away. No- Did you watch it? Nope. Okay. I right away noticed, wow, so many nominees are actors of color. Mm-hmm. This is, or, or not just actors, writers, whatever, people mm-hmm. of color. This is great. Wow, who the tide is suddenly shifting. And then one after the other. It was like, but then the one white guy won. Yeah. <laughs> but then the one white girl won. Like, yeah, I, that was ha- the big thing. That was the big, oh, is that what people are saying about yeah, it? Yeah, that yeah. it was more, I believe it was more people of color were nominated than ever before and less won the actual award than ever before. I mean, my God, it's like, it's like, it's like, it's like, it's like white folks saying you should just be happy just to be nominated. Look at that. Yeah. Yeah. But we're not going to let you win. Yeah. There needs to be some type of like in Hollywood. I wish sometimes I wish Hollywood was just like a company and that everybody mm-hmm. got like a company newsletter, you know? Mm-hmm. And then this week's newsletter is like, Hey, listen, we, our white fragility was really showing on yeah. Sunday, you know, you have to remind yourself that it's you're not recognizing somebody's work is not doing them a favor. It's recognizing their work. It's not right. doing them a favor when it's your favorite white actress and it's right. not doing them a favor when it's your favorite black. Actress. Right. Right. It's recognizing the work. It's about the work. And a rising tide lifts all boats. Yeah. And when you have better work, more better work comes out of it. Like, you know, this whole thing about the appetite, like p- people are always like, well, but it's the American appetite for whatever. Okay, well, guess what? Americans, myself included, um, like the thing that you tell me to like to some uh-huh, degree. Uh-huh, and uh-huh. if you tell and if you tell me that something that I know is shit, you know, is shit, then then I go, okay, good. I, I'm I I that that tracks with my, mm-hmm. the belief that I already have. We could just make all pro- content better. It could all be more interesting. Right. Did you see Michaela Cole's? Yes, that speech? I watched. I thought that was brilliant. I thought God that was brilliant. Damn. She She's brilliant. And that I watched because people kept reposting it. I'm like, oh, she said something brilliant. So yeah. let me watch. And I just really appreciated it. And I, I, she's, you know, tells you to keep going. And for those of 
the uh, people who are listening who don't know that her big thing was it's okay to, uh, or actually you should as a writer un- unplug mm-hmm. because, you know, we get caught up in this web of rep. Uh, what was the word she used? It was not rep- uh, visibility. Visibility. I think it was. Yeah. We get caught up in our own visibility and how many people have seen this right. thing and we don't, we don't feel like it's real or important until people have seen it, which, you know, there's understandable reasons for that too. But all the time you spend in vexation about whether or not you're being viewed is time that you're not spending looking at yourself. Yep. That's what it is. Honestly, yep. we all are just, we want people to see us, but not really see us. Right. Like we, we need to see ourselves. Right. We need to, the answer is, as I used to say to my clients, well, the bad news is the problem is you. And the good news is the solution is you. Oh, that's a great thing. Today on the podcast, we're talking with Noelle Rath. Noelle is someone who went to the theater school for a time when we were there at DePaul University, and um, she left. But um, while she was there, she was a part of um, what Gina and I have talked about um, as a spiritual movement or religious movement that kind of swept up the theater school for a time. And she tells us all about that. And she talks about her writing and what she's up to now. And it was very interesting. So please enjoy our conversation with Noelle Rath. She got a what French bulldog, I have a right? French bulldog named Doris. Aww. And a, we have a mutt named Wallace. Doris okay. and Wallace. What's your dog's name? Lucky. Uh, what's, what kind of dog is Lucky? He's a toy poodle. Aww, so he's cute. seven pounds of anxiety. Ah, that's funny. <laughs> they say that about little yeah. dogs, that they're nervous little suckers. I know. I know. I was really hoping that. I don't know, somehow we would look out and not have one of those yippy dogs, but they just bark at everything. Yeah, They just Mm -hmm. are just high alert at all times. It's literally their only defense. It's literally the only thing. Well, I know. And that's what I keep reminding myself is like, you know, he's just so little and vulnerable that he has to think he's big, but Yeah. yeah. So Noelle Rath, congratulations. You survived theater school. Well, yeah, sort of. Yeah, <laughs> well, no, you did. You did, I, and and sort of is like the all for the most part. That's all of us, right? It's like yeah. we survived, sort of, and we're here. You know, yeah, sort of. Well, I mean, I made my own choice to leave, so it's kind of a different scenario, I suppose. Oh, I don't think I realized people. that. So yeah, you didn't say the yeah. whole time, right? Yeah, I ended up. I ended up deciding to leave um, right before my senior year started. (laughs) Oh, wow. That was a bold move. What precipitated that? Um, It, you know, which I suppose we'll get into, but it really was um, a pretty dramatic uh, spiritual experience that happened while I was in school. And um, I remember going to Betsy's office to have a conversation with her because I knew a lot of people for whatever reason would take a leave of absence. And I really thought that's what I need to do. I need to kind of figure things out. And, um, I was going in to have a conversation with her about taking a leave of absence and, 
it was through that conversation that she really kind of, I don't want to say she kind of coached me out, but she helped me realize that maybe this wasn't the path for me right now, you know, because I would have to be, um, compromising for, you know, for what I believed was compromising, what, you know, what then I was, I was feeling was, um, the sort of like new understanding of, of who I was and my reality. Um, she was like, it's just going to be one compromise after another. And I'm not sure if this is, I mean, she wasn't like, I'm not sure if this is a good fit, but she helped me realize like I had options and that was actually really freeing to realize that. Yeah. Well, you said we'll get into it. Let's get into it right now. I mean, so our, <laughs> yeah. our, our, our experience, or I'll say my experience was one, mm-hmm. one day, a bunch of people seemed like they were all part of one specific group that was, yeah. that included the way people dressed sort of like yeah. in long skirts and, and, and yeah. going to some, I don't even know what the church is, but go, but, but going to church, I'm sure, it, yeah. I'm sure it, what didn't happen in one day, but you're the first person we're talking to who was sort of a part of this. So we'd love to hear what your experience was. Um, so, well, I mean, just to put it in context, you know, I, like coming to the theater school, I was one of those people where like, I barely got in, you know, <laughs> I, I, uh, I did not, I was not a studious person, you know, um, actually I remember meeting with, I think it was, what is her name? Melissa. Yeah. Melissa Meltzer. And, mm-hmm. and she was like, oh, we, we'd really love to have you. Um, your, your ACT scores are a little low. Maybe you could try retaking that. <laughs> so I actually did. I got a few points higher, but even getting in, I was, like right away, sort of on an academic probation, you know, I was just more concerned with my social life than I was about studying, which was sort of what gravitated me towards acting because it's just fun and play. And, you know, anyway, so, um, so as soon as I got to Chicago, I mean, coming from, you know, sort of a small town in Minnesota, I was just like, everything is at my fingertips, you know? And I remember one night, you know, kind of innocently with a friend um, that was in my acting class saying, you know, let's go clubbing tonight. Let's like, you know, see what that's all about. And man, that just opened up a whole kind of world to me that just sucked me in right away. The clubbing world. The clubbing world. Oh yeah. Oh, I did not yeah. know this. I did not. I was not a clubbing. Yeah. So first of all, were you were you in the class? Did you start school at the same time we did? I'm ninety three. No. Uh ninety four. Ninety four. Yep. Okay, so you were one. So year. I was a. Okay. Yep. Okay. So with Ed and um, Erica Yancey, who you've had on. I'm trying to think if there's oh Paul Holmquist. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Um. And I don't know, for some reason, I, I, I always gravitated towards um, the drug dealers, too, were like magnets for me. So I had my pick of whatever I wanted. Um, and it just really sucked me in big time. Um, so I had a good experience <laughs> at the theater school in terms of like, 
I, I loved my teachers. I actually got decent roles. I just, as you know, was always the case with Noelle, I wasn't applying myself, you know, like I wasn't really in it. Um, I was just so scattered. So, um, so that was kind of, you know, that's sort of like setting the stage or whatever for, I think what ended up being this, um, kind of an awakening for me. Um, so anyway, so it was my third year and I was cast in a two person show, um, Danny and the deep blue sea. Um, and it was, it was Barry was the director. Um, and Anthony Locascio was the, was Danny. And it was really the first like major lead role that I'd ever had. I mean, I'd done a lot of musical theater and then leads and that kind of thing, but a straight, you know, dramatic lead was, you know, it was a lot of, um, it was a lot of responsibility. And I remember Anthony and I taking that really serious and, you know, we were kind of, you know, like you are when you're 19, you're, you're exploring, you're having deep philosophical conversations, you know, and we would spend so much time drinking coffee and smoking at the golden apple oh, yeah. and just <laughs> philosophizing about life. And, um, we just really were interested in God. We were just had a lot of conversations about what is God and what, you know, and in my own, in my own mind, I really thought that I had a clear understanding of who God was and what that meant to me. Um, and I used to always say to him, like, well, you're closer than you think, you know, like I really felt like for whatever reason, like I had it all to, like I had it together. Like I knew, and I had this close relationship with God because of some experience that as I'd had like as a teenager or whatever. But, um, that's sort of the beauty too. Like before you, you do get all indoctrinated is that, you are having this experience and it's sort of unfolding as it needs to um, instead of someone telling you this is what you should be believing or this is what you should be doing or whatever. I mean, I really do believe that it's supposed to just sort of unfold and happen in its own time. Um, do you want to say more about, I'm curious about what happened to you as a yeah. teenager that, that sort of exposed you to. Well, just, um, you know, I guess just going way back, I mean, I've just always, I've always been a real sensitive person when it comes to spiritual things. And I've always had a deep longing for understanding, you know, what this all is and who I am. I mean, even now with my own kids, I love to talk to them about stuff like that, you know, and just like sort of try to pick a part. I mean, I'm always reading spiritual books and just, I don't know. You're it's a seeker. A part. Sounds like you're a seeker. I am. Yeah. yeah, very much so. I don't have any answers, you know, but I just love to dig deep and figure out, you know, what's beyond and how this is all connected and how we're connected. And, um, you know, so I grew up Catholic, but then I had, you know, I went to like some camps with friends, you know, and there you have kind of, you know, emotional experiences and then you feel really close to God for a while. And then 
about two weeks later, you know, you're back to who you were. I mean, it was just always this cycle of that, you know, it was like having emotional experiences and, and feeling more in touch with my true self, but then, um, always kind of reverting back to, um, you know, behaviors that are typical, I guess, of a teen Mm -hmm. or whoever, but probably weren't the best choices, you know? Um, so yeah, so we would, um, so Anthony and I would, would have these amazing conversations and, um, cliche as it is, then of course we develop sort of a relationship, you know, during the show, and, um, it, it, you know, that show is very intense. I mean, it's like two hours in my underwear mm-hmm. swearing and slapping each other, you know, yeah. so it was like, um, that was the first show that my parents got to see me. In, you know? Holy <laughs> yeah, that's, that's, that's a big one. Yeah. And I remember, um, it was opening night and he comes to me, you know, in the green room or whatever and he's all excited and he tells me, I went to church and I got baptized today. And I was like, wow, that's that's awesome. You know, I was so excited for him. And then we go and we do the show. And um, I don't even remember much about the show itself, you know, or truly having any sort of understanding about what we were doing or, or who this character really was. But it was kind of after that, that, um, I started going to this church with him and this church was affiliated with his, his brother, his brother had had, um, a pretty, um, you know, again, dramatic conversion, you know, through this church, it's, it's a Pentecostal church and this, um, older man had started a, um, kind of what they called like a daughter work, you know, sort of a, a satellite church in Schaumburg, um, which is a pretty far suburb outside of Chicago. Um, but that's, that's where they were going. So we started, um, doing a, a Bible study with, um, Anthony and his brother and his, and his brother's wife. And I just, kind of got, I I don't want to say I got sucked in, you know, but it really did feel, it, it just felt really pure and genuine. Um, and I think what's been so helpful for me listening to this podcast specifically is because I don't talk about the experience of, I mean, I don't want to say like joining a cult because I don't think it's a cult. I mean, it has cult-ish tendencies, <laughs> but I appreciate what you guys have talked about, um, that everything is sort of a cult. And especially when you're 18, 19 years old, um, I was always like, how did I let that happen? You know, like, how did I let my life like completely go in an opposite direction? How did I let myself get so sucked up into like these strangers? Like I didn't know these people at all. Well, and it's because you are so young and you're completely taken away from your family. You know, I mean, you're, you're out there by yourself. And, um, I think, you know, being in such a, being in such a dark, 
place with the clubbing and the raving and the drugs and everything that goes along with that, I think it like deep inside, I was really like longing for something that was more true to me. And, and I was really longing for family um, and just something that would be like a foundation and, and stabilize me. And it certainly did. <laughs> I mean, um, cause it's it was... a lot of rules, right? You had to follow a lot of rules. It's, um, it's, it's definitely a more legalistic type of religion. Um, and they don't, you know, and it's not like, oh, now you're in like, do this, do that. I mean, they're very like, I mean, I could tell from the beginning, it was like, no one wanted to talk about it. Like no one wanted to talk about the fact that women are wearing skirts and, you know, like all the other things like, you know, which eventually you start, but it really was more like me realizing it on my own. And when I would bring it up, um, the women would be very like, um, well, well, but don't worry about that. You know, you just, just do what you're doing. Just, you know, keep coming. Like you could tell that they, they knew that once you are fully in it, typically women start to then have an issue with it, you know, um, because it's, it is so countercultural. Um, and, and there's some pretty, um, extreme things. One being is that you do not cut your hair because it's considered, um, like a covering, um, almost like a veil, like a physical veil. So there, I mean, there was one point where I had hair down to my calves. Like I had not cut my hair in like five, seven years. Yeah. Yeah. So it wasn't too long, um, into the experience with, with Anthony in this church that, I don't know, it's probably even just like three, four months that I started to realize like, oh, all these women are, you know, like they don't wear makeup and they're always wearing skirts. And so I started to ask questions and I really did it on my own. I was like, okay, well, that's, that's different, but that's not a big deal. I mean, I could try that, you know? So I just, I would go to thrift stores and you know, like buy the most hideous. Well, this is a long skirt, so that works. I mean, that's why when you say we look like we walked out of Little House on the Prairie, mm-hmm. it's because we had like no idea what we were doing. But it really was coming from a pure place. Yeah, I mean, I mean, I just want to. I, 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 what really sticks out to me, something that you res- that resonates really deeply with me, is the idea that you were looking for family and. As Mm -hmm. someone who, as a former therapist for, um, you know, for gang members and for all, it's always that looking to belong. And I'm telling you, if I had been approached, I'm telling you right now, if I had been approached by anyone in your group and, and sat down and said, we love you, we want you to come do this. I would have done it too. I know I would have. I just wasn't in the, it's like I wasn't exposed to it. So I could see how, because when. Well, that's why there were so many from our class and even younger that for a while were pulled into it. Um, Even Mary Kay Cook was one. Mm -hmm. Um, Heather Cullington. I remember Heather. Um, Sarah Whitaker. I mean, she and I were, were best friends at the time. I mean, we all, and then there was, there was other, you know, other people too, that 
you know, came maybe to church once or twice with us or, you know, I even remember, I mean, it was like this mini revival was breaking out within the theater school. I mean, it was like, you could tell people were so spiritually hungry. Yeah. I mean, they really, I remember one time, you know, um, we sort of like posted something on the board, like, let's just get together and have a Bible study. Like anyone that wants to come and we reserved some room, I like in the annex or something. And there was there, I, I feel like there was like 20 to 30 people that showed up and there was such a buzz in the air and you know, no organization or like who's really leading this. And, but you could tell there was just such an excitement. People were really hungry for it. And I wish that, you know, the, the church and, you know, the philosophies around this particular denomination weren't so dogmatic and absolute, because I think that we could have together had a bigger impact at that time, but, you know, because certain people were, you know, were more about let's follow the church than let's all have sort of like a, I don't know, just a more open-mindedness about it um, to honoring like everyone's perspectives and and experiences and where they were coming from. But um you know, unfortunately, that that type of denomination was like, no, you know, it has to be this way. And, and this is this is the truth. Like, if you don't see it that way, then, you know, I don't want to we don't really have anything more to say kind of a thing. So that's that's unfortunate. Um, Did you feel but then I, yeah. I just have a question. Did you feel that yeah. that buzz in the air that sort of um, yeah, that was like taking off? I want to know. Yeah. Did did the did did the teachers get involved? What what went down? Like yeah. okay, because I'm really curious about that aspect and like how yeah. they handled it, and also, um, yeah, just that. Can you talk about like the culture? Like, did the, the teachers say you have to stop this or what? How did it go? Because I I was so in my own world. Who the I would be. I would love to know what they thought because I'm sure that they were like, uh what is going on? Like, I don't, it just seemed like they didn't really know what to do with us. Um, which is probably why Betsy, you know, was probably the voice of the majority of the teachers saying, I think it'd probably be best if you found a different path, you know, a a different career or whatever. Um, Right. Because one yeah. of the, one of, I mean, cause what do they do? You know, I mean, one of the yeah. limitations, if I remember correctly, is the material. Like there was, oh, yeah. um, a, a, a lot of, I mean, it just, it, the, the things that people were willing to do at the, yeah. the things that the students were willing to do, the students who are part of this changed really quickly. And it became, yeah. I don't want to do material with, cursing or sex or, or whatever. I mean, it was, it was crazy. And yeah, and exactly. Like I didn't know. I remember having conversations with a couple of MFA actors, um, and just saying like, well, what is there out there for Christian actors? (laughs) I mean, and of course we know it's like, 
not much and really bad. And it's already hard enough making it as a regular actor, you know, willing to do anything. Um, and then put all of these stipulations on it. Um, I mean, I was fortunate where, you know, I was, so I'm, I'm discovering who I am and I'm kind of transforming as a, as a person. And I was still cast in some shows. I mean, I'm sure that was probably, um, I'm sure that was probably intentional, you know, from the, from the faculty standpoint in things where I didn't feel compromised, you know, like I did Bridge to Terabithia, which was a children's show. And, um, and then, you know, Under Milkwood, which like everybody was in that (laughs) didn't get a main stage or something, you know, so I was able to sort of, I was able to sort of exit gracefully and not feel like I was put in a position where, but I do remember when I was in Bridge to Terabithia, I had, I had really short hair because I went through like the nineties pixie cut phase, Mm -hmm. you know, that's how I remember you with your short hair and your little barrette right here. So, right. Right. (laughs) (laughs) Um, but I remember and that was probably part of the reason why I got cast because I had this short hair and I was supposed to play this tomboy. Um, and I remember going to the makeup room and I think it was Nan is her name. Um, and her saying now, um, you know, so we're going to have to keep up this short hair. So, um, let me know when you are scheduling another haircut. And I was like, Oh, you know, actually I, I don't cut my hair anymore. It's like, it's like a religious thing. And, you know, that was one of the first things where, and she's looking at me and I'm looking at her like, and I think it was even in that moment that I'm starting to realize, oh, there's going to be a lot of this kind of thing. You know, there's going to be a lot of, oh, I can't do this or I don't know. I don't know. Looking back, I'm just, I think that's what's strange now is that like I'm listening to everyone's stories about either, you know, going on and being working actors and coming to a place now where what we're like 20, 25 years later. And they're kind of like, wow, this has been a really interesting choice. It's like a very bizarre life, you know? (laughs) And for me, I've always hung on to this idea, like, like the what if, what if I hadn't left? What if I had stuck with it? And I'm always kind of, I don't want to say tortured by it, but there certainly is a part of me that's like, as I've never feel like I've found my place, you know? Oh, you still feel that? I still feel that way. Okay. I've never feel like, it's like ever since I left, I'm like, now what? What am I doing? You know? What did you You do right after you left? I left and um, I immediately, I stayed at DePaul and I immediately enrolled in the English literature department. So I graduated with an English lit degree. And I will say that, and I've always said that that leaving in terms of education wise was one of the best things I ever did because, you know, at that point now I'm more of a straight and narrow and, um, I, I really 
got excited about learning and education. <laughs> I finally figured out how to study. And I was, I had an amazing liberal arts education at DePaul. You know, I was like introduced to so many amazing works and just classes and, and professors. So I ended up graduating in five years instead of four, you know, so it took me an extra a, a two years or whatever. But um, that really kind of helped propel me on, you know, in terms of like my later sort of just love for continuous learning and reading. And, um, but, you know, I, I remember even standing in line at graduation and, you know, I'm kind of with all of these other English lit people and they had a plan, you know, <laughs> like they all knew what they were doing or a lot of people knew that they were going to grad school right away or they, you know, they were going to be editors or work in publishing or journalism. And I was just like, I just had to pick something, you know, and something that sort of interested me, but I had no idea what I was going to do with it, you know? So I have been all over the map in terms of you know, a career afterwards, but yeah. Like, I mean, so what, what yeah. yeah, what are you doing now? Um, actually I'm a writer <sighs> right now. I work for an architectural firm and I do technical writing. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's interesting though, that you, you're, that's a completely reasonable career choice and yet you feel like you don't believe, uh, maybe you're not saying you don't belong to your career. Maybe you're saying you don't feel like you belong in a different way or you don't have your, you don't have your group. You don't have your people. I mean, first of all, did I, you, did you yeah. leave the church? I did. Okay. Yeah. Um, so let's see. I don't know. I had been graduated a couple of years and I was working as a, you know, like a, administrative assistant, uh, for a window company. <laughs> and, um, and I met my husband, uh, through mutual friends. Um, and he was, you know, he was part of the church. Um, he had grown up in, um, the UPC. Um, but you know, there was always, I could tell right away because even though I was in it, I always questioned. I was always questioning. It's kind of part of my nature too, is just to question everything. Um, and, and I was always like in it, but then I would backslide, you know, and I would not be in for a while and then I would come back and, um, did they call so, it backsliding or did you call it backsliding? Yeah. They called it. No, it was called. What do you mean? Like when yeah. you, when you went astray or something like that? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. You would like go back to your old life ways, your old life. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Okay, so you did that. You basically like stop going to church. Okay. Yeah. So you had yeah. periods of that. Oh yeah, for sure. Okay. Yeah. Got it. Um, and you know, there were, cause there was just a lot of, a lot of, a lot about it that I felt, um, was very controlling, you know? I mean, because it is like, if you don't go to church, someone's going to call you and ask you where you were, you know, oh. or, you know, it was just like serious business, your church mm -hmm. life and your church family is all encompassing. And there really isn't room or time for anything else. Um, was there yeah. any money I mean, involved? Did you have to donate like, a lot of money? 
No, okay. no, That's nothing good. like that. And then no. what did people do in terms of like jobs? Did they do all kinds of jobs? Cause you're saying it's all encompassing. Did you have to get a certain kind oh. of job or? Oh no, no. Okay. I mean, you, yeah. I mean, no, you, you know, you're living your life, but I'm saying it's like, you know, it's, it's church on, you know, Wednesdays and then, you know, two services on Sunday, but then there's also all of these midweek things. Like maybe you're doing two Bible studies, you know, on, or you're involved in, I don't know. You're just, there's always something. Sure. <laughs> you know, I just felt like, you know, so there just isn't a lot of time for strain. Right. Um, because you're just, you know, you're always with the same people. Um, but so anyway, when I met, when I met my husband, um, first of all, he, he was going to a, a different church, but within that same denomination and the church, you know, every church has its own kind of flavor and maybe rules too, you know, um, more strict or more lenient or whatever. And I just felt like he was also like, he was an intellectual. He was okay with questioning things, you know? Um, and so we sort of connected on that level. And even from the very beginning, I just felt like this is someone that, um, I don't want to say like, we're going to escape together. Like it wasn't that dramatic, please understand that. <laughs> but I just felt like this is someone that um, like I'm going to be safe with and that we're going to be going on this journey together. Mm -hmm. Interesting. And that we, you know, I just had that deep sense from the very beginning and we did, I mean, we did question a lot of things and, but we, you know, we stayed in it for a long time. Um, but yeah, we were living in Chicago. That's where he was born and raised. And when I was um, pregnant with my second child, we ended up moving to Minnesota. Um, so back to my hometown. And it was kind of there that we started to kind of break away. I mean, there was a church here that we could have gone to and we, and we did for a little while, but we just started to realize, um, you know, we're living two different lives and it's not, it's not who we really are or how we really believe anymore. So yeah. Other, so it's been a long journey. Did but, other people, you know. I don't remember if other people, cause like Heather Collington was in our year. She stayed all the way through. She graduated. Did mm -hmm. other people leave the program that you know of? Well, Anthony did. Yeah. Yeah. He and I left at the same time. Yeah. And he's still, I think he might still be a part of that church. Yeah. 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 He pastors a church actually in the suburbs. Yeah. Okay. Mm -hmm. So yeah. um, that, that does mean though, that there are people who stayed and presumably kept their faith, uh, you mm -hmm. know, and figured out a way to make it work at the theater school through, through graduation. Yeah. Yeah, I suppose. I think Heather really is maybe the only one. Yeah. Oh, okay. Oh, yeah, because yeah. maybe what you're saying too is like after you and Anthony left. Anthony, by the way, so charismatic. It makes sense yeah. that 
you know, yeah. he would have been kind of the, the leading the effort on this after he left. Right. Maybe it kind of died out at the theater school or do you know? I think so. Okay. Okay. Yeah, I think so. Wow. Yeah. I, I, was there any, um, you know, it's, it, from the little I know about that church that, that, um, it, and maybe I'm wrong. So, um, please tell me, but like, the, it seems like it's theatrical in its own way. Is that, is that accurate that there's like a theatric vibe to it? So it's kind of interesting yeah. that you guys, that you were actors and then this church, mm -hmm. it's not just like, you know, the, the Unitarian church or something, which is by the way, I've, I've been to and I fell asleep like six times. This is more like, <laughs> yeah. it, right. It, it offered, it must've offered some kind of fix of the theatrical, did it? Or am I just totally Oh, for sure. Okay. I mean, it's a very emotional experience, you know, and that is part of, that's part of what I think draws people in, um, is there's, there's like an altar call, you know, at the end of every service where it, it's designed to invoke a lot of emotion. Um, you know, and if like, if everyone's not crying at the end, then it wasn't a successful mm, call. Mm -hmm. you know, and at some point, which by the way is like uh, acting class. I'm just saying it's very similar to acting yeah. class. So a lot of times yeah. theater schools and mm -hmm. rehearsal processes are, if the people, mm -hmm. if no one cries, did we really do right. good work that day? I'm just, there's a right. lot of similarities. So it makes sense to me that yeah. it's just like it, it, it's sort of in the name of God versus in the name of the theater, but it's, it's a right. similar vibe, man. It's a similar, I've seen, you know, like from yeah. watching movies and there will be blood and things like that, like watching, watching that kind of, um, emotional response that's what we're all looking yeah. for dude like that yeah. is the thing yeah. so it happened to be in Schomburg with people from <laughs> I mean I but it could be anywhere so I just yeah I really want to sort of emphasize and like say that like I in the core of my being get how that I might have taken this path too and that it is it's just I, I just we're all looking for a home like okay we're all looking for an emotional home where we can feel like we belong and this has happened to be in a church but i mean it's just so anyway that's what i wanted to say because i was like oh these are the they're similar it's similar it's theatrical yeah and and all and we've talked many times on this podcast about how people find theater school as, you, and well people go to college in general to in part to find themselves, but there is something specific about theater school. And I think it might actually be for people who are going into acting. I don't know who I am. I don't know how I feel. Let me just go ahead and learn how to be somebody else, you know, for a while, because maybe through, and, and it's a perfectly reasonable way to come to know yourself. Maybe you go, come to know yourself more through the, okay, well, I'm not that. That's not who I am. It's not that I'm trying on all these different selves and mm -hmm. you know mm -hmm. until I find the one that fits yeah yeah well and I think about too um you know kind of like how you guys have talked about you are you're so raw at that point right like I had been through two two and a half years of that sort of stripping down process and now I'm so open to anything. <laughs> and I think it was just the perfect scenario for me to get swept in 
swept up into something like that, that, um, you know, touches on so many different senses, right? And, and especially that emotional component. I mean, it was just, yeah. But and it's like, I, I was, I was hesitant, honestly, to come on like, I, and that's why I had not responded to any of your emails initially, because I was like, really humming and hawing about whether or not I wanted to talk about it. Because it's like, although it was, a, it was, you know, it was sort of a bizarre experience. It was something that happened and it has shaped me. Um, and it, and in a lot of ways, it shaped me for the better. You know, I mean, it really helped me get my act together because I was out of control. Um, and, and I keep thinking too, even though there's always this like, what if in my head, I'm like, yeah, but what did it prevent me also from experiencing? Cause if I had gone down that path and ended up in LA and I mean, I was just so naive and so willing to try anything that I'm just, I don't know. I, it sort of scares me. Even now when I think about how did I walk out of some of those situations I put myself in, um, you know, through my club years so you, that I walked out like alive without major yeah. <laughs> so you were, trauma you were, or, well, were you, know, you doing a lot yeah. of drugs? Is that what was happening? A lot of drugs, okay. a lot of guys, okay. you know, I mean, it was just, yeah. Not a healthy situation. Did yeah. did uh, becoming part of the church change any of the relationships with people that you had at the theater school? Definitely. Yeah. Um, you know, unfortunately, and, and, and now like looking back, I can understand it because, I mean, geez, it was like, it did seem like overnight all of a sudden there was this like group of kids that was just all... Jesus freaks, you know? Um, but there were some people that I would have considered pretty close friends that just like cut us off, like literally wouldn't speak to us. But then there were other people that, you know, just remained true friends and, you know, didn't quite understand it, but were like, whatever, you know, if it's good for you, then that's good, you know? Um, I think that's the one thing that I probably regret, though, is that, you know, like people walk away from their college experience, like like you two, you know, and you've known each other since you were 18. And because of the way that I left and, you know, the situation that I was in, I was I really sort of like cut myself off from a lot of people. And so I just haven't had that same like you know, close people that I've known since college or even been able to like rehash some of these things. That's what's been so cool about listening to this podcast is a sort of putting pieces to the puzzle together, you know, um, that I haven't been able to talk about with anyone because I haven't kept in conversation with anybody, do, you know, do you over keep all in those touch years. with anyone that was in the church? I mean, you said, you know, Anthony is, is at still the church. Do you keep in touch with any of like the Sarah Whitakers or the, um, you know, we've connected a little bit through social media, but, um, but not really, not really. Okay. No, yeah. not really. I'm just sitting here trying to think about 
I mean, you and I didn't have a friendship per se, but I, I, and, and I guess the only person in that group that I had a friendship with was Anthony. I don't remember mm-hmm. the timing. Mm-hmm. I was in a quasi relationship with him. I feel like I remember right? that a little it bit. It must have been yeah. right. Maybe I, maybe I, if I'm to blame. <laughs> <laughs> but when I think about why I would, I was rejecting of people who had become part of that group. The only thing I can come up with is fear. It's not like anybody started treating me differently. It's not like it it was really no skin off my nose that people joined a church. I don't know why I had a problem with it, actually. Maybe just, I think it scared me. It seemed sudden. And I didn't really know if it was, I didn't know what kind of church it was. I didn't know what it was asking people to do. So actually, you... you. Well, I can't blame you for being... I mean, I would have been the same way, you know? I mean, and plus we were just... I think about some of the things that I did, you know? Like, I remember we had this one assignment in some acting class where you were supposed to get up and it was like sort of like a comedic thing. You were supposed to get up and in one breath, like say all of the expletives that you could, you know, you know, like you, like you see that in like a movie, you know, like a Chevy chase scene or something. And, and so I'm sitting there and I'm going, Oh my gosh, what am I going to do? You know, and I get up and I just at the top of my lungs scream, I hate you, devil. <laughs> I mean, what? You know? Yeah. And and actually looking back now, I'm just like, dang, Noelle, that was really bold yes. of you. Like, yes. I can't imagine doing something like that yes. now. You know, the one thing. But, you yeah. know, but as another classmate, I'm sure they were just like, what in the world? Well, first yeah. of all, that's a dumb, dumb assignment. I just have to be honest. Like that, okay, let's just, but I, that's just my, my yeah. judgment about the yeah. assignment. But also um, <laughs> then knowing that like, look, I think, and I remember I was away. I think I was not in school when this went down. I had taken a leave of absence, I think, right? Because it was right before. You were already with Nicolas Cage. Oh, I was? I remember that rumor mill. That's like, hilarious. Did you hear? Oh, my God, that's hilarious. You... Yeah, you were like a unicorn to oh, us. Oh, that's hilarious. <laughs> Meanwhile, I'm like drinking myself to death over here. But anyway. Yeah, I remember. That's funny. Did you hear that Jen is a personal assistant to Nicolas Cage? Like, I was like the top you know like we couldn't believe it (laughs) meanwhile I was I was miserable but anyway so so that's all right we we all were in some ways but um the other thing I'm realizing is that it does take a certain amount of chutzpah to be like I am gonna believe because I grew up in a family where it was like religion is the opiate of the masses right I was in this Mm -hmm. lefty sort Mm of like religion is for dumb people kind of a thing right so I was afraid of that and then to for someone to say no we're we're taking a stand and we're taking it for God or Jesus or whatever. Mm-hmm. It does take us. I mean, look, you get empowered when you're in a group, but it does in a, in a sort of liberal institution, even though it was like DePaul, which is a religious, but not really, but in a theater environment yeah. to say, actually, I'm not going to do the sex and drugs 
actor thing. I'm going to do the Jesus thing. It also takes a certain amount of balls, you know, like, I, I don't know. It's weird yeah. and it's uncomfortable, but what I would, yeah. and looking back, I'm like, what I wish would have happened, which is how I spend a lot of my time thinking, but like at the theater right. schools, if the faculty had said, look, there's this thing going on that we sense, what is at its essence and how can mm-hmm. we support exploration in a way that maybe isn't limiting and what is happening here? Like, and Gina and I talk about this a lot is like, let's address the fucking elephant in the room. These people have found a spiritual path, whether you think it's weird or let's look at what the need is there and why they're doing this instead of, yeah, we think you should leave school. Not that she said that, but I'm just saying like, you know, I always wish, I wish I look back and I think, man, if an adult had just said, what is the essence of this spiritual revival and how can we talk about yeah. it and, and look at it and see if there's some way where we can include maybe not the religious part, but what's missing yeah. here. Hmm. Yeah. But it is what it is. Yeah. I mean, cause there certainly were a couple of times um, like town meetings like that, you know, around different student issues um hmm, I forgot so about i don't that. know town meetings yeah like right when yeah, we'd all you... gather in the yes! pit in the pit yeah mm-hmm. i had forgotten like about maybe, that you know yeah yeah but it is what it is i mean well, i just look back yeah. and i think wow yeah. it could have been an opportunity to really bring us all together but like yeah whatever this is this is the thing that i've the tip i've been on recently about you know how how theater has always prided itself on being so inclusive and it's completely not, you know, it's its own cult. And, Mm. and if you didn't fit or conform to that, Mm -hmm. you know, you were Mm -hmm. on the outs. It makes me wonder since Heather did make it all the way through, it makes me wonder, I I don't really have a a recollection of this. If she, I guess she must've performed for the showcase and everything without makeup mm. and without her yeah, haircut and yeah. So that's, yeah. that's interesting. Yeah. So um, mm. you said that the story of Noel is that you're not applying yourself, <laughs> <laughs> For sure. which is something I, I can relate to a little bit. Um, do you, are you any further along in understanding what that's about than you once were? Like what, why, why, why is that your problem? Oh, and I wouldn't say it's my problem now. Okay. If anything, now I'm like, I'm the opposite where I need to just relax a bit, you know, and be more gentle with myself um, because I've taken on like, you know, the perfectionist persona. And um, I don't know if I feel like I'm, I do feel like some of that stays with me and maybe that's why I'm almost like a workaholic, you know, because I'm making up for lost time or I have this, um, I carry with me this, this idea in my head, like I'm in trouble. You know, if I get an email or a call from someone, I'm always like, like my first instinct is to drop. Yeah. That's a bad house. I have the same thing. What am I in? I'm in trouble, you know, and I'm never in trouble anymore. Like I'm always like Like, getting so many kudos and you knock that out of the park. Like, but I just can't, 
accept it for some reason. It's very strange. We're middle. It, it, for me, it's about being a child. Like it has yeah. nothing to do with my adult self. It's a child self that's in trouble with my parents, and I, and then yeah. leads me. And we talk a lot. We talked this morning about people pleasing. Like mm-hmm. that just leads me to people pleasing, and. But I do yeah, too. I yeah. had, I have, when they say, oh, it's time for your yearly review at a work situation, <laughs> I start to cry. I know. In front I of know. the people. I I mean, <laughs> I, but anyway. Oh. <laughs> so, but so you're, you're, yeah. you're applying yourself, but there is, it sounds oh, like yeah. there is a part of you that feels like you're not doing enough or that you don't have it together or something. And I just want to say like, you're not alone in that. And you're also not alone yeah. in wondering, here's the thing, everyone that we've talked to at the theater school, graduated or not, dropped out, left, cut, all say what if about the other thing. Like, yeah, I right? never met someone yeah. who was like, no, I took the path and I have no questions <laughs> about what I did. And I'm glad I right. didn't get cut. And I, everyone's like, right. what if I hadn't gone to theater school or what if I think that is yeah. what I've learned from these 50 plus interviews is that like, we all have the, what if Noel, like yeah. it doesn't go away. And I think that's just part yeah. of, that's just the truth. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. So, and then I just wonder too, if I was even, because I think the people that are really successful at, at, at whether it's acting or whatever, are just really in love with the craft of it. I mean, they find the personal satisfaction in the doing. And I think I was in the famous camp. I think I really just wanted to be famous. I, you know, I was like, I was good at it and I, I got, you know, good parts and I, I kept like moving up the ladder or whatever. Um, but I don't think I, I wasn't like, gosh, I just want to read all the scripts and like study these people and understand the psychology. And I wasn't that person. I was just like rolling along like, yeah, man. Okay. If that's, if you like me, great. Okay. Let's do that thing. But it wasn't like, wow, you know, this is my life, you know? So that's why I'm like, why do I hang on to this? What if, but it's like this stupid thing in my head where I'm like, I, I, I did all that training and it's just going for not, you know, I mean, that's, that's who I really am. You know, that, that's who I started out being. And it's like, no, you know, actually you can evolve as a human being (laughs) and, you know, what you thought you were when you were 17, 18 is not who you are when you're 46, you know, uh, it's okay to let go of, of those dreams. I think it's okay because everyone's like, no, don't let go of your dreams. Like it's a, it's all possible. I mean, geez, you know, this Instagram culture where it's just like, you know, you know, sometimes you do have to let go. I think so. And just embrace the present moment and, you know, just see what that has to deliver, you know, what that has to provide for you instead of holding on to the past, I guess. Do you yeah. still have any type of a performing itch? I do. Um, and sometimes I do. And again, that's why sometimes I'm like, I wonder if it really is like a calling for me because I only want to do something if. <laughs> the situation and the context is like perfect, you know, like I only want to do it if 
I really love that particular director or I love that show or um, it's like a meaty, juicy role. Like, I just don't want to do anything. You know what I mean? Like, I, I'm I'm not doing every community theater play that's out there because it's like, uh, you know, done that show a million times or I really can't stand that person or whatever, you know? So it's like, it has to be the perfect storm for me to say, yeah, you know, but then I'm also just not, I don't create on my own either. You know what I'm saying? Like, I'm not, you know, some people are like starting little theater groups or like a women's, you know, little ensemble. And I'm like, I just don't, I don't pursue it. I don't know. So I don't know. Well, now, yeah. So maybe before you were applying yourself creatively, but not in other ways that are important for survival. And now you're totally applying yourself in all the ways that are important for your survival and for taking care of your family. And now you're wondering about, you know, the application, you're applying yourself creatively, which, you know, I I, I would, I would argue like that, it's that is not necessarily lose use it or lose it you're, you you have your creativity you you always have it sometimes yeah you can't sometimes you can't access it because of life and th- there may come a time in your life where you don't have to work as hard as you're working mm-hmm. and you'll feel more free and open to yeah I mean that's definitely part of it like in this current season is that I just don't feel like I have anything more to give at the end of the day, you know, after working. And um, I do devote a lot of energy to my kids and my family, just making sure that they're in a really healthy place and that they're taken care of. So yeah, I just, that is definitely part of it. It's just my season of life right now. Um. I did actually, I I worked as an arts administrator for a lot of years um, here in in Mankato. And that was somewhat, you know, fulfilling, I guess. But again, I just found myself in this role where um, I kept questioning, am I really passionate about this? You know, like, do I really care about the arts that much? I don't know. You know, I kept telling myself that I did because that's who I used to be. So I must, you know, I must really care about this. But I'll tell you, once the pandemic hit, I kind of went into a spiral and I just said, I can't do this anymore. I I didn't really know how to lead an arts organization when everything was normal. And I certainly don't feel qualified to lead an arts organization through a global pandemic. And the arts were like, basically like, what is there? You know, like we couldn't do anything. I don't know. It was so for my own mental health, I just had to get out of, I had to get out of the nonprofit sector and just get something that, I wasn't in charge, you know, just like, tell me what to do and I'll do that thing. But I just, I just didn't have the capacity to, you know, to basically like 
forge some blazing new trail right. that hadn't but yeah I was, nobody I was like, nobody I really can't. does i mean let me let me i, I just some people, and there has been so much transition during the during the pandemic of people and and that's why i haven't felt bad about it because i've seen so many people either say i'm retiring or i'm also like leaving this sector or whatever for whatever reason because um, it's just so stressful. Yeah. It's so stressful. I, yeah. I, we have to w- wrap up, but I, I just want to mm-hmm. know in terms of your spirituality and your journey, where are you still, is that still something that's, are you, do you belong to a situation, an organized situation? Where are you at on the time? <laughs> do you belong to a situation? I like that. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, it's so funny because because of the pandemic, um, we did sort of fall off the wagon of going to church every Sunday, like I think a lot of people. Um, and again, it's it's sort of freed me and my husband up to exploring just, you know, other ways of worship or um, other ways of being. It's still, my spiritual journey is still a huge part of my life. And I'm you know, more excited and hungrier than ever, you know, the older I get, I don't know. I just, I, you know, I think it's like the big issues of like grappling with mortality and, and what does that mean? I mean, anyone that knows me knows that my favorite conversation is to talk about death and what that means (laughs) and you know, where do we go? And, uh, again, I just feel like we are all so connected and we're exactly where we need to be um, for the moment. Uh, and I'm just open to, to whatever, you know, the universe is trying to tell me. I love that. Whatever they're trying to tell me now. I love that. If you liked what you heard today, please give us a positive five-star review and subscribe and tell your friends. I Survived Theater School is an undeniable ink production. Jen Bosworth Ramirez and Gina Polici are the co-hosts. This episode was produced, edited, and sound mixed by Gina Polici. For more information about this podcast or other goings-on of Undeniable Inc., please visit our website at undeniablewriters.com. You can also follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Thank you! Thank you!